Revelation 17. Uh, I believe chapter 17 is one of the hardest chapters in, in the book. Uh, so uh, certainly understandable to have some difficulties uh, w- w- with it. Uh, the, those first 11 verses is what, what we went over last time. And I um, observed with you what I thought were three options for how to look at those first 11 verses. The one that's presently on the screen is presently where I'm at. Subject to change my mind tomorrow. <laughs> but for now, this is how I think we should be uh, looking at what it's talking about. Um, why should we consider in these first 11 verses of chapter 17 that we should be counting off kings or emperors of Rome? What about the text? Because we haven't done this the whole book, right? We haven't we haven't done this with, with anything else uh, up to this point in these prophecies. So why in chapter 17 would we start looking at this and start saying, well, let's start counting off seven kings and the eighth is of the seventh that goes to destruction and all that kind of thing. What what in there tells us that maybe we should think about things this way? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that verse 9 and verse 10 are probably the strongest reasons why if 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 these first 11 verses had just simply uh told us that you know this calls for a mind of wisdom and and these refer to uh the seven mountains and we'd go okay the seven mountains are rome and so it's talking about all the emperors and all the wickedness that they're going to do but it is certainly unusual that Verse 10 then says they are also seven kings. And then you kind of, even if you put the period there, I'd go, okay, well, seven is a complete number. And so it's talking again about all the emperors, and I probably would have done that. But then the very next sentence is five have fallen. One is. And another is to come. And he will be for a short time. And there's an eighth. That's like the seven that goes to destruction. And you go, okay, you must be doing something a little bit more there by getting so detailed with five, one, one, eight, it's like seven. You kind of go, you're trying to do a little bit more there than what we've seen before. What we've seen before, when you saw a number, is it quickly flashed by? Okay, it's a, you know, a quarter of the waters and a third of this. And, and, and it doesn't slow down and go, and the third is represent, and this little thing, and this little thing, and this little detail just kind of goes, and it's a third of the seas, and it's a third of the land, and you kind of go, okay, I got the third's idea, but but this one is certainly different. So this is why this is the reason why I think this is the way to look at uh, this chapter. You are completely allowed to think this is crazy, but, but, but this is the only thing that makes sense to me about how to how to look at it. It also works well with what we've seen from Daniel. We talked about that Daniel's prophecy has two outstanding uh, prophecies that had not been fulfilled yet when you move into the first century, destruction of Jerusalem, fall of the Roman Empire. So having a dating of this book uh, somewhere more 68, 69, however you want to count off your, your kings, puts then the destruction of Jerusalem is being very imminent 
to the book, which starts us off well, because how did the book start? These things must soon take place. The time is near. And I stood on my head to you when we started this and said, so how soon is it no longer soon? How long is the time near and then it's no longer near? And, you know, 2000 years, that's not near, that's not soon. And I also observe 400 years, 200 years, nobody would say that's soon or near uh, either. So I think that this works very well with those time markers. I'll, I'll talk more about that, probably not in this class, because I do think that's a, a problem, but I'll probably save that problem to chapter 19 or chapter 20, where we'll talk about how the time is near and soon take place is going to work. Uh, with all that, or maybe I'll save it for 21. Who knows? There's a lot of places to, to deal with that. Um, as I put in the email, though, are there questions about this? I mean, obviously there's questions about it, but I mean specifically something about this that uh, you want to go back over or refresh or just doesn't uh, make particular sense in the explanation. But I think this is one of our best dating points for the book. Uh, And in your introductory workbook, I went to great lengths in talking about how let's let the book tell us what the dating of of it is and not start with any preconceived ideas. Uh, And this one, I think, is a very strong point for a very early writing of of the book of Revelation. Charlotte? Uh, Domitian, he wrote for quite a while, but when you read about Uh, no, it would be the seventh one that doesn't last very long. That, that Yes. So that's uh, like two years. For Titus. Yeah, two or three years there is what for Titus, exactly. So, right, we're in verse 10, five have fallen, one is. So your is would be Vespasian number six. And then you would have one is to come. And when he does, he must remain only for a while. So that would make number seven Titus. And he does only remain for just a little while. Uh, He's the son of Vespasian. And then after that, uh, Domitian takes over. He would be the eight who is like all the rest. And to me, that's a useful statement to say uh, right now under Vespasian, you know, in terms of Christianity, things are reasonable. He's, he's, He's not... He's not like Nero. He's not like Caligula. He's 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 all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by you know, those are all relative statements, but <laughs> you know, generally speaking, uh, Vespasian, uh, he he's all right. In fact, it's it it's the the Colosseum is actually built with uh, it begins construction under him. Uh, he's the one that's going to have the Roman Colosseum constructed. Uh, take all the wealth that you have of uh, uh, from the conquest of Jerusalem and spend it. Uh, and if you've been there and you saw the Arch of Titus and you see on the inside, there is a menorah on the inside, which is showing the carrying away of the captives of, of the people of, of Jerusalem. They use that money to build Titus's arch because Titus is the one who finishes the job. And Vespasian is the one who builds the Colosseum and he dies just before its completion. Good with it, but you can you can Google all that on Wikipedia. All right, <laughs> Mike, go ahead.
Yes. How this might be different than everything else as far as symbolism. That's right. And there's one other time where we've seen in Book of Revelation where John says, this calls for the mind of wisdom. Do you remember? It's the mo- probably one of the most famous passages in the book of Revelation to the whole world. Calculate the number of the beast because it's a number of man, six, six, six. That is also said as a prequel. This requires thinking. <laughs> this requires a calculation. Same, same wording that you see here uh, in verse 9 about calling for a mind of, of wisdom. So uh, chapter 13 did that as well. I'm saying the 666 number. So I think you're right, Mike. It's saying slow down and think about this one for a minute. Uh, need, need to soak in what I'm telling you about what's about to happen. Okay. Anything else? That's your last chance. I officially moratorium and will never answer a Revelation 17 question again. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, move on to verses 12 through 14. Uh, I want you to listen to how this is pictured because I think uh, this is also can be challenging. But listen to the imagery like we've been doing throughout our study. Try to get a feel of what it's trying to say. So verse 12. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power for they are to receive authority as kings. For one hour, together with the beast, these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, and the ten horns that you saw, they, are, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. All right. So now in verse 12, we begin the 10 horns. They are 10 kings, but there is something different about how these 10 kings are described versus the prior seven kings. Did you notice that when it says the 10 kings, there's no more details. He doesn't say there are 10 kings, five have fallen, one is, and one's yet to come. And there's three of these and four of those and Notice he just leaves it at 10 and he doesn't dive into any, any more detail. All that he says is they receive authority for, for an hour. So we're kind of doing these symbolic numbers. Do you think these kings have power for only an hour? Short time, right? So, okay, these kings have authority for a short amount of time. But probably one of the most important pictures to help us understand what these, what these 10 kings are is you'll notice that the passage says they have the same mind as this first beast, this beast with the seven heads and ten horns, giving their power and authority to it. All right, so there's something to think about. (laughs) Here they are. 
They uh, seem intricately connected to the first beast. Let's let's back up. First beast represents Roman, Roman Empire is what we've been seeing back in chapter 13. The one a few points of consensus in the book of Revelation is that that beast in Revelation 13 is the Roman Empire. We're, we're been noticing its heads and its horns here uh, in in chapter 17. You also notice that it says that they are making war on the lamb in this text. And it also says that the lamb is ultimately going to conquer them. So I'll just maybe open it up to you since you've had two weeks to mull this over and come up with all the the answers to this. What is this referring to? My idea was that it's the world, other world powers who are throwing it in the Yeah. Yeah, and I think that makes the most logical sense is if you think about the, the power of the Roman Empire and what the what the Roman Empire looked like in, in that day and time, it's a pretty unique circumstance because they allowed provinces and regions to rule with their own authority, laws and rules so long as you didn't rebel against the Roman Empire and paid your taxes. I mean, that's what's happening in Judea, right? Judea has all of its rules and laws. We have a Sanhedrin council. They're doing their laws. In fact, when Jesus is on trial, remember Pilate says, you have laws, you deal with it. (laughs) This is your situation. This is your region. This is your province. This is your problem. And you might even remember, they also had a ruler. Who, who is their, quote, king? Herod. You've got the Herods who are in charge. So the Roman Empire did not necessarily just go around saying, as we take over everything, we're going to place ourselves in charge. They would leave the local areas to be in charge unless you didn't do what they liked. And then they got rid of you and said, okay, we'll have somebody else rule instead. So here's what I think this is, this is saying. And if I were to summarize verses 12 to 14, in talking about these emperors who are, who are ruling and setting a time frame of that and now describing these 10 kings without any details, I am going to go back to broad symbolism. 10 refers to a complete whole number of rulers and it seems to be observing the idea that what the empire is doing is allowing these various authorities and rulers and provinces to rule and by doing so they give their authority back to the roman empire back to rome they do what rome says They do what the emperors decree and they enforce the rules of Rome and they enforce the persecution that would ultimately begin to take place and cause people to worship the beast. Remember, we read all that in chapter 13. They'll cause them to worship the beast. They'll participate in the pagan worship, the idolatrous worship, all of those things that we've talked about up to this point. It's setting up what it looks like. And the reason why that's important is because verses 15 through 18 are going to describe how the empire is going to be destroyed. So it's showing that Rome has power. It gives its authority to the various provinces. And so you have your Herods and your rulers and various all over throughout the empire. 
And as they are all then agreeable to that, they're all giving their power back to Rome and observing all of that and saying, okay, we'll do what you say and and, and keep all that going. I think that's the idea of verses 12 through 14. Verse 13, these are of one mind and they hand their power and authority to the beast. They agree to do what the beast says. Now, the reason why that's important is because in verse 16, that's all going to change. So notice what happens differently. Where did I just set my clicker down? There we go. (laughs) Verse 15. The waters that you saw, and that goes back to the beginning of chapter 17, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute, and they will make her desolate, and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with with fire. So I think this is what this is simply saying is there's going to be a point as the Roman Empire in its existence where ultimately all of those regions and provinces and rulers decide we're not in on this anymore. <laughs> and they turn against Rome and they turn against the emperors. Now, I don't desire to make a Bible class a history class, so that's why I'm not going to do that. But I think it's useful for you if you want to go back and look that the way the Roman Empire falls is not like other empires. You know, it's not like we go, okay, the Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians, and the Persians were conquered by the Greek Empire and Alexander. And the Greeks were conquered by the Romans. And if I say, who conquered the Romans? You kind of have this... It more disintegrates. And if you're really up on your history, it turns into a Western Roman Empire and an Eastern Roman Empire. And then the Eastern Roman Empire gets Constantinople and it turns into the Byzantine Empire. And, da, 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 and I'm not going into all that. But it just kind of caves in on itself. There's not some Babylon or somebody that comes in and goes, okay, now we're the big new Roman Empire, you know, we're in charge. No, it just slowly disintegrates. And I want to make a point for you. That's exactly what Daniel said. Do you remember that in Daniel's prophecy? That's exactly what Daniel had prophesied. I have it on the screen, but if you want, you can look at Daniel chapter 2 and verse 40. Daniel 2, verse 40, there shall be a fourth kingdom. Remember, we have our four kingdoms. So Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. There will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things. And the iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it's going to be a divided kingdom. But some firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with clay. So notice there is this idea already that Roman Empire is going to be different because it's this amalgamation of nations and peoples and regions and rulers and all of that. It's the umbrella over it all. And that's why it's powerful. It's iron. But it's also going to be its inherent weakness, clay. As for the toes of the feet, and by the way, how many toes do you have? And how many kings are we looking at? 
All right, so I think we're tracking here. <laughs> As for the toes of the feet that were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong. And partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay. So they will mix together as one in marriage. But they will not hold together. Just as the iron does not mix with clay. So Daniel's saying the same thing. Is that this fourth empire is going to be strong. But that's going to also be its very demise. And I think that's what verses 12 through 16 are doing. Is first it describes. Here is the beast of the kings and it gives all of its power to Rome and to the emperors until it decides, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that anymore. And that's what we see historically is we the finally everybody just kind of goes, you know what, this is nuts. <laughs> we're not going to do this anymore. And they ultimately rise up against it and allow it to disintegrate. It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it's ultimately not not there anymore. So let me put that all those points back on the screen for you now. Uh, all right. Questions about that part before I look at the end of chapter 17. But I think that's what it's doing there. And I think that's a pretty amazing prophecy. Because if you're standing in the first century, prior empires fell to other empires. And this one's not going to. It's just going to be the end, which is also fascinating because if you think of Daniel's prophecies, the statue and the beast, chapter two and chapter seven, all of them stop after four. They don't say, and then the fifth one is not going to be a fifth one. That was going to be the end of all of this, Debbie. No, it wasn't that. I think it's just ty- tiring of the system. Just, you know, you know, it's, it, you know, there's a lot of nations that do that. Oh, we love our country. No, now we hate it. This place stinks. And I just kind of got sick of it. And, I mean, if you read about the emperors, I mean, how long do you want to deal with this? <laughs> Let's pay absorbent taxes to wackos. <laughs> I think we're done with this. <laughs> And finally, they all decide we're not going to give our authority to the, the prostitute anymore, to Rome itself, to the emperors. And the beast is ultimately held together by all of those, those nations and powers. And if they all rise up and say no more, you know, it would be kind of similar to, okay, D, if we said Washington, D.C. is the prostitute and the whole country is the beast, and we say all the states give their power to the beast until all 50 states say, you know what, we're not. <laughs> it would kind of work like that. It's just, you know, it's all held together because everybody agrees to do it. And when you stop agreeing to do it, all right, there it goes. And same idea. Here's the Roman Empire's held together. All right, we're going to protect you, and we're, we're here. We are, and that was all great in the beginning. And then they kind of got sick of it, and so you know what? That's out, out it goes. And so there it went. Mike, uh, you know, it's like you said, it's really hard to see this coming because you give the correspondence and plenty of the younger. And you have to assume that's the norm. It's all the authority. They're all going back to the emperor for the, in this case, persecution of Christians, but how to handle it. To see it dissolve, like, from within, it's, yeah. it's got to be shocking to just the whole system. 
Absolutely. It's kind of unbelievable to think that something so powerful could decay and fall inside out. Or is it that hard to see? Maybe it's not that hard to see after all. It doesn't take long to have everybody go, you know what? We're not a part of this anymore. That's all it takes. And so, yeah, what worked for a long time finally becomes its disintegration. So to me, that's what this is trying, more trying to get at is this beastly power is not going to be forever. It's also going to crumble and it's going to crumble in a very unusual way inside out that those rulers and authorities and provinces and regions are all going to say, we're, we're done with that. And so little by little, if you study your history, once you get to about the 200s A.D., it just starts shrinking. And finally, you don't have much of anything anymore. (laughs) This is finally, finally gone. That's why everybody struggles with, well, when was the when did the Roman Empire fall? Uh, I mean, one guy has a famous one that says like five, I mean, four fifty six or something like that. But there's not like some, you know, I mean, was it really still the Roman Empire in 456? I mean, it was split in two, and I mean, you had West and East, and Constantinople was the new capital at that point, and was it really the Roman Empire? All right, anyway. Now, I want you to notice something very important. Verse 17, who's doing this? God. Very important. This will all come to an end when God says so. And verse 17 is critical to that. So all that is going on, making war against the lamb and warring against the people of God and all the persecution, all the difficulty these Christians are going to go through. Verse 17 makes it clear. God is going to pull the plug on the beast and on the prostitute when he's ready to pull the plug. He says when it stops. And if there's anything that I have tried to underscore in our studies from the Old Testament prophets to this book as well is God sovereign and in charge of rise and fall of nations and leaders he says when it's time and here it is he just goes I'm going to let that happen God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast think about that John just wrote down that God was the reason why the empire was as big and powerful as it was They're all giving their power to the beast. God put it in their heart and in their mind because that was God's purpose. So we have to live with that. Notice God doesn't say, now let me tell you why I did that. He just goes, you understand that that's what God's doing and you accept it. Kind of like the book of Habakkuk. Here's Habakkuk. What are you doing? (laughs) How can there be all this wickedness? God goes, you're right. I'm going to use the Babylonian Empire to destroy you. He goes, wait a minute, I don't understand that either. (laughs) Uh, What are you doing? God's going, I've got a purpose. The righteous live by faith. We trust that God is ruling over the affairs of the earth. And so that's what you see pictured there. One other big point, verse 18. Here is the big flag. There are times in the book of Revelation where I think you have these key markers that tell you, Here's who I'm talking about. And verse 18 is one of those. The woman that you saw. Now that goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 17. The woman that you saw, she's riding on the beast. She has on her forehead Babylon, mother of prostitutes. She's making the world commit sexual immorality. They're drunk on the blood of the wine of the saints. 
The woman that you saw, verse 18, who is she? The great city that has dominion. Any other translations? Royal power. power. Other translations? Some say rule. Empire. Empire. Over the kings of the earth. Who in the first century is a great city that has power, dominion, royal authority, and rule over the kings of the earth? I don't know how that can't be wrong. I just don't. If I'm a Christian in the first century reading this, and it says... This is the great city that has authority over all the kings of the earth. Who's in charge in the first century? Rome. Rome is the woman. The beast is the whole of the Roman Empire. And the beast is ultimately going to turn against Rome itself. And that will cause the collapse of the empire itself. I think that's what chapter 17 is saying. So why all the king counting? Five have fallen. But there's more to come. Remember, you have this picture in chapter 13 of a fatal or mortal wound in the head of the beast that somehow heals. That's just a crack up to me. It's, it's a fatal wound, but it's not fatal. It looks like the empire is going to fall, but it's not. And I think that's why we're doing the counting is during the year of four emperors... It looks like the empire is tottering, staggering. And he's saying, yeah, five have fallen, but it's, it's not over. One is, another's to come. It'll be a short time, and there's one after that, and it's just like all the others. This thing's going to keep rolling. Don't get your hopes up that just because we have a year of four emperors that these difficulties of living in the empire is going to stop. It's going to keep going. So hold on to your faith. Call for wisdom. Call for understanding that this is going to keep sustaining itself. And the Christians are going to still have to endure through all that. That's why I think those details are there. Questions? I'm never coming back to this chapter again. You know how much work it takes to do all this? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'll have to answer it. You feel good about that? Is that all right? (laughs) I just I just put on here. I don't know what else this is, but but Rome, Mallory. So I'm looking at the waters. The people are the waters are the people, multitudes, nations. Yes. That means it must be endless because the water. Yeah, it's a picture of of basically the known power at that time. It has the power mainly over most of the earth. I didn't put a map in here of the Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire is vast. I think I might, I have a, a map of the Roman Empire for chapter 18, uh, but not right, not right here. But it's, it's everywhere. Let me, let me see if I can cheat the system. <laughs> so the only thing I hate about PowerPoint is it's forced linear, you know. This doesn't include all of it. I couldn't find a map that had enough resolution to get all of it. <laughs> because it goes out over here too. But the, the reason for all the lines in the middle is because of chapter 18. It's going to talk about all the wealth of, of the world. 
And it's useful to note that the Roman Empire in its heyday, we have found archaeologically, had trade that reached all the way to India and to China. The power of the Roman Empire, we just can't get our minds around because we haven't seen anything own most of the known world like that. It's, it was just vast, just vast. So it just went all the way out to the east and up toward the important parts of the north. And I couldn't even get Britain in there. And you know, it had most of Britain, Africa, Asia. Uh, Mike, uh, as impressive and encompassing as the waters may be, God still set the boundaries to the oceans. So yep. Even that. Right. Isn't that what that's saying in verse 17? What, who, who made all that happen? God did. And when will it all stop? When God goes. <laughs> so we'll talk about that in chapter 18, though, which we have time for if you legitimately don't have questions. But if you don't, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll. I mean, that's great if you don't, but I'm, I'm happy to answer them. I'm just observing that this is. Um, this is the hardest hardest part of the book. You're okay? All right. Wow. Great. Chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his, with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen, Babylon the great, She has become the dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of her passion of her sexual morality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from her power and luxurious living. All right, let's just start with that. What's the call? What's the cry? So notice again, prophetic certainty. It hasn't fallen yet. You know, it's, it's the power in the first century. But it's saying this is certainly going to happen. And I want you to notice that it says something important in, in verse 3. Who's going to be affected by all of this? All the kings of the earth and... All these merchants are all going to be affected by by this. And the reasoning that's given is that they've all participated in this immorality. The wickedness is not bound tightly just to the city of Rome and the emperors. It's not like everybody's, you know, faithfully following God, but oh, we've got these terrible emperors, you know, it's just awful. No, the immorality goes through the whole empire. It is widespread. The kings of the earth are doing the same things as the beast is what we're told. So what you are getting a picture of is that the world is worthy of judgment. The whole world is worthy of the demise that is going to that is going to come. They're worthy of what is going to take place. And so notice that's what you have happening in verse four. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out from her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back 
as she herself paid back others, repay her double for her deeds, mix a double portion for her in, in the cup she mixed, for she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. <laughs> so there's a warning here. Look at verses 5 and 6. What's the warning to the people of God? Get out. Okay, get out. Don't participate. I mean, I don't know that you could physically get out of the Roman Empire. That's, where are you going? We already mentioned it's, you know, it's the known world at that time pretty much. But the idea is don't participate. Now, bring in what we've talked about up to this point in, in our studies. What is the beast wanting Christians to participate in that the book is saying don't do it? Idol worship, yeah, sexual sins, emperor worship, the imperial worship of Rome itself. It's been saying they're going to make you try to worship the beast and you're going to die for, for not doing it. But here's the warning. Don't participate in her sins and in her deeds because it's going to pay for its sins. That's what this whole picture is. Rome and the whole world is going to pay for what it's doing. There is going to be a judgment, not only on Rome, but on the beast and on those nations and leaders and authorities that are giving its power to the beast. The whole thing is going to fall down, so come out from it. And I think that's in a spiritual, moral, purity sense, not a pack up your bags and, you know, hightail it somewhere. But don't be like them. Because judgment's going to come, and it's worthy of, of, of that. Yes? Well, and I think it's important, that's why they call it Babylon, too, is as a reminder to any of the prophets, you see time after time where this nation that you think nothing can happen to and are going against what God wants. Right. Think, well, you know, we need to, that must be what God wants us to right. do. God says, I'm going to cause them to fall. I brought them up for a reason, and when their time is done... So don't get mixed up in what you're doing. And I think that's why he's reminding them. Absolutely. So how important is that message right here? Who is allowing the Roman Empire to do all that it's doing? All right. And is the Roman Empire full of purity and righteousness and goodness and, you know, faithfulness and love? No, it's just described. It's full of wickedness. It's the haunt of every unclean thing is what it just said. I mean, if you think things are bad, if you listen to the wording of, of, of verse two, it's, it's basically the cave or the dwelling place of every unclean spirit, unclean bird, every detestable, everything that is awful and wicked is tied up in this thing. And so what are Christians supposed to do? Don't participate. And Christians go, well, but wait, where is God? Why isn't God doing anything? Because the nation is so bad and so wicked and so depraved and it's so falling apart. Yep. God has his purpose. He is using the Roman Empire for his purpose. That's what we saw in 1717, right? Chapter 17, verse 17. God's using it for its purpose. 
Christians are supposed to sit back and go, yeah, I know it's wicked. God is using it for its purpose. And I know not to participate in it. I'm not joining in in it. Even though everyone else is, I'm not. Because I know God is going to bring judgment on it. That's what's being said here. Julie? I like to always personalize it to myself. When you brought up those three things, you know, idolatry, sexual morality, and emperor worship, you know, boy, can I see that presently. Yes. And it's so easy to see the idolatry and the sexual morality. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It is. Even, like, we wouldn't say emperor worship, but even just political. Sure. You know, all the, I mean, we don't, you know, just, it's so yeah. prevalent. And yeah. it's so important for Christians to see that today, knowing that God is going to end it when he wants to, yeah. how important it is for us to live apart from all sure. of this. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, yeah, we don't have emperor worship, but we sure do have political worship. We sure do have country worship. We sure do have red-blue worship. We, we're so intricately tied to it because this is everything. And God's going, I'll just make it snap in a second, folks. I'll just make it snap in a, in a second, Trish. Now, I was just thinking about what the sister was saying in terms of um, there's that scripture that talks about there's nothing going to be said. That's right. You know, That's right. That happened back then. Yeah. It's happening now. That's right. That's right. And I hope that's a huge takeaway. Please do not look at our world and go, boy, this has never happened before. (laughs) Really? That's because we are very forgetful and we think the whole world is bound up within our own generation. (laughs) This has happened for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. God goes Assyria and down and Babylon and down and Persia and down and Greece and Rome and all nations rise and fall because God says so. Charlotte? Uh, on a more mundane level, the barbarians that sure. conquered, eventually conquered Rome were sure. more, should we say, austere, sure. somewhat moral yeah. people who were not used to all this. Kind, yeah, all very, very different. Wealth and, everything. And, and by the way, for according to Rome, who was a barbarian? Sometimes we think of like, you know, these like Neanderthals running around and then the barbarians took over. Who was a, who was a barbarian according to Rome? Anyone not a Roman citizen. Yeah, exactly. Anybody who wasn't a Roman citizen. <laughs> so, again, that fits the whole idea of the outsiders are just going to go, we're done with this. We're not going to be a part of this anymore. It's over. So, yeah, please have, have that in mind. But uh, notice the reason for its fall as well. Nobody will ever conquer us. Did you see that? Oh, we will never have mourning. We will always be happy and joyful. And we, we are so powerful. We, we, we are masters of our own control. No, you're not. Yes. Yeah, just like the sister alluded to, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And the Jews who were reading this, you know, you know they, they just had to go back to their history. And I'm sure those who were kept, who carried into captivity in Assyria and Babylon were saying the same thing. Woe is me. Right. But then they had to use the example of Daniel Exactly. And you have two options. You either read passages like this and go, and then when the Roman Empire fell, God fell asleep and is no longer in charge of the affairs of the world and is presently taking a nap and one day will wake up and return in judgment. Or this is setting for you the model of this is how God runs the world. I'm on number two. Still the same, doing the same, same things. 
nothing's changed. Still ro- rolling and ruling and doing what he needs to do. Mike? So, uh, one of the times I tried to read Revelation, purely symbolic, and there's so many verses I can never really get with it. One of the ones I can never really get with is, and the merchants of the earth that come rich from the power of the luxurious living and try to come up with an answer for that. Yep. Uh, so, you know, the flip-flopping back and forth with symbolic versus actual, you know, <clears throat> It, it, right. I, I would pull this map up for, for that for that reading. Who is getting rich on the Roman Empire? The world. The world was rich. Friends, it was good times during the Roman Empire with its wealth. Any any uh, students remember enough world history to know when the Roman Empire finally is fully, fully gone, and it's not, you know, the East and West and all that. What, what, we, what age we call that? The Dark Ages. <laughs> uh, the world went from party time riches to the Dark Ages. It was over. So, I'm out of time. Chapter 18 next week. 15-minute break. Reconvene at 1030. Thanks, everybody.